Book two, chapter four of the Leopard's Spots by Thomas Dixon, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Michelle Fry. Book two, Love's Dream, chapter four, The One Woman. Gaston called at the post office to get his mail. One relief the Cleveland administration had brought Hambright, a decent citizen in charge of the post office. Dave Halley had given place to a Democrat and was now scheming and working with McLeod for the, quote, salvation of the state, which, of course, meant for the old slave trader the restoration of his office under a Republican administration. If the South had held no other reason for hating the Republican Party, the character of the men appointed to federal office was enough to send every honest man hurrying into the opposite party without asking any questions as to its principles sam love the new postmaster was a jovial honest lazy good-natured democrat whose ideal of a luxurious life was attained in his office he handed gaston his mail with a giggle what's the matter with you sam nothing tall i just thought i'd tell you i like her handwriting he laughed how dare you study the handwriting on my letters sir what's the use of being postmaster there ain't no big money in it i just take pride in the office said sam genially that's a new one ain't it gaston looked at the letter incredulously it was a new one a big square envelope with a seal on the back of it addressed to him in the most delicate feminine hand and postmarked independence great scott this is interesting he cried breaking the seal when the postmaster saw he was going to open it right there in the office, he stepped around in front and, looking over his shoulder, said, What is it, Charlie? It's an invitation from the Ladies' Memorial Association to deliver the Memorial Day Oration at Independence the 10th of May. That's great. No money in it, but scores of pretty girls, big speech, congratulations, the lion of the hour. Don't you wish you were really a man of brains, Sam? no no i'm married it would be a waste now sam i'll be there got the biggest speech of my life all cocked and primed full of pathos and eloquence been working on it at odd times for four years they'll think it a sudden inspiration what's the name of it the message of the new south to the glorious old that sounds bully that ought to fetch em it will my boy and when Dave Halley gets this post office away from you in the dark days coming, I'll publish that speech in a pamphlet, and you can peddle it at a quarter and make a good living for your children. Don't talk like that, Gaston. That isn't funny at all. You don't think the radicals have got any chance. Chance? Between you and me, they'll win. Sam went back to the desk without another word, a great fear suddenly darkening the future. McLeod had gotten off the same joke on him the day before it sounded ominous coming from both sides like that he took up his party paper the old-timers gazette and read over again the sure prophecies of victory and felt better gaston accepted the invitation with feverish haste he had it all ready to put in the office for the return mail to independence but he was ashamed to appear in such a hurry so he held the letter over until the next day he proudly showed the invitation to mrs durham what do you think of that auntie immense you will meet miss sally sure that letter is in her handwriting 
she's the secretary of the association and signed the committee's names you don't say that's the great and only one's handwriting couldn't be mistaken it has a delicate distinction about it i'd know it anywhere it is beautiful acknowledged gaston looking thoughtfully at the letter i wish you had a new suit charlie i wouldn't mind it myself if i had the money but clothes don't interest me much just so i'm fairly decent i'll loan you the money if you will promise me to devote yourself faithfully to sally never i'll not sell my interest in all those acres of pretty girls just for one i never saw and a suit of clothes no thanks i'm going down there with the premonition i may find her of whom i've dreamed they say that town is full of beauties you're so conceited that's all the more reason you should look your best i don't care so much about looks i'm going to do my best whatever i look oh you know you're good-looking and you don't care said his foster mother with pride on the tenth of may independence was in gala robes the long rows of beautiful houses with dark blue grass lawns on which giant oaks spread their cool arms were gay with bunting and with flowers flowers everywhere every urchin on the street and every man woman and child wore or carried flowers the reception committee met gaston at the depot on the arrival of the excursion train that ran from hambright he was placed in an open carriage beside a handsome chattering society woman and drawn by two prancing horses was escorted to the hotel where he was introduced to the distinguished old soldiers of the confederacy at ten o'clock the procession was formed what a sight it stretched from the hotel down the shaded pavements a mile toward the cemetery two long rows of beautiful girls holding great bouquets of flowers this long double line of beauty and sweetness opened and escorted gravely by the oldest general of the confederacy present he walked through this mile of smiling girls and flowers behind him tramped the veterans some with one arm some with wooden legs when they passed through the double line closed and two and two the hundreds of girls carried their flowers in solemn procession here was the throbbing soul of the south keeping fresh the love of her heroic dead they spread out over the great cemetery like a host of ministering angels there was a bugle call they bent low a moment and flowers were smiling over every grave from the greatest to the lowliest and then to a stone altar marked to the unknown dead they came and heaped up roses then a group of sad-faced women dressed in black with quaint little bonnets wreathing their brows like nuns went silently over to the national cemetery across the way and each taking a basket walked past the long lines of the dead their boys had fought and dropped a single rose on every soldier's grave they were women whose boys were buried in strange lands in lonely unmarked trenches they were doing now what they hoped some woman's hand would do for their lost heroes the crowd silently gathered around the speaker's stand and took their seats in the benches placed beneath the trees gaston had never seen this cemetery so lavishly and beautifully performed before he was overwhelmed with emotion his father's straight soldierly figure rose before him in imagination and with him all the silent hosts that now bivouacked with the dead his soul was melted with the infinite pathos and pity of it all 
he had intended to say some sharp epigrammatic things that would cut the chronic mossbacks that cling to the platforms on such occasions but somehow when he began they were melted out of his speech he spoke with a tenderness and reverence that stilled the crowd in a moment like low music his tribute to the dead was a poem of rhythmic and exalted thoughts the occasion was to him an inspiration and the people hung breathless on his words his voice was never strained but was penetrated and thrilled with thought packed until it burst into the flame of speech he felt with conscious power his mastery of his audience he was surprised at his own mood of extraordinary tenderness as he felt his being softened by that oldest religion of the ages the worship of the dead as old as sorrow and as everlasting as death he was for the moment clay in the hands of some mightier spirit above him he had spoken perhaps fifteen minutes when suddenly straight in front of him he looked into the face of the one woman of all his dreams there she sat as still as death her beautiful face tense with breathless interest her fluted red lips parted as if half in wonder half in joy over some strange revelation and her great blue eyes swimming in a mist of tears he smiled a look of recognition into her soul and she answered with a smile that seemed to say i've known you always why haven't you seen me sooner he recognized her instantly from mrs durham's description and his heart gave a cry of joy from that moment every word that he uttered was spoken to her sometimes as he would look straight through her eyes into her soul she would flush red to the roots of her brown-black hair but she never lowered her gaze he closed his speech in a round of applause that was renewed again and again his old classmate bob st clair rushed forward to greet him old fellow you've covered yourself with glory by george that was great come here's a hundred girls want to meet you he was introduced to a host of beauties who showered him with extravagant compliments which he accepted without affectation he knew he had outdone himself that day and he knew why the one woman he had been searching the world for was there and inspired him beyond all he had ever dared before he was disappointed in not seeing her among the crowd who was shaking his hand he looked anxiously over the heads of those nearby to see if she had gone he saw her standing talking to two stylishly dressed young men when the crowd had melted away from the rostrum she walked straight toward him extending her hand with a gracious smile he knew he must look like a fool but to save him he could not help it he was simply bubbling over with delight as he grasped her hand and before she could say a word he said you are miss sally worth the secretary of the association my foster mother has described you so accurately i should know you among a thousand yes i have been looking forward with pleasure to our trip to the springs when i knew we should meet you i am delighted to see you a month earlier she said this with a simple earnestness that gave it a deeper meaning than a mere commonplace do you know that you nearly knocked me off my feet when i first saw you in the crowd why how she asked you startled me i hope not unpleasantly she said looking up at him with her blue eyes twinkling oh heavens no you are such a perfect image of the girl she described that i was so astonished i came near shouting at the top of my voice there she is and that would have astonished the audience wouldn't it 
it would indeed she replied blushing just a little but i'm forgetting my mission mr gaston papa sent me to apologize for his absence today he was called out of the city on some mill business he told me to bring you home to dine with him i'm the secretary you know and exercise authority in these matters so i've fixed that program you have no choice the carriage is waiting end of book two chapter four